Guys, DGS, a few minutes past 5 p.m. We have Amy Mark Scores here from KMOX. We have Stacy Washington, Stacy on the right, Keith Antone. Good to see y'all. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Hello. Uh, well, let's start out with the obvious. Let's start out with the coronavirus. And rather than trying to, uh, you know, go issue by issue, I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, anything you want to talk about, whether it is uh, the way we're handling it or the way it's being politicized or which way it's going to go. Keith, start with you. Well, I think it has been it's been politicized since uh, since the beginning of this. I think Trump has handled this extremely poorly. Um, he first came out and said it was a hoax, and then he walked that back. Then he came back and said it was the Democrats, and he walked that back. Then he said it was Obama, and then he walked that back. Now, you know, last night, and when he had a chance to really, you know, bring the country kind of together and forget the left and the right, and Democrats, Republicans. He says it's uh, it's the EU's fault. I mean, it's it's how they handled it over there. They should have got on it like we did, and it would have never gotten over here. And he missed the mark completely. He had an opportunity last night, but again, typical Trump. And you know, that's just what he does. What did you think in particular? What did you think of last night? I I missed it. I'm so mad because I just <laughs> I was going to watch it and I watched something else and forgot about it. I've seen the highlights, but how That's did last all I've night seen hit is you? the highlights. So to be honest with you, I didn't I didn't see the entire speech. I just I just saw the the highlights. So, you know. Stay fair. Well, that's a pretty rough assessment for someone who didn't watch the whole thing. I did, and I am on the White House press corps list, so I read all of the comments. I actually read the transcript of the speech, not as given, but the transcript of the speech meaning what he was supposed to say. And I think he did try to bring us together last night. He talked about not politicizing it and not making it about politics, but instead us being one big family. I think there's something really important for us to kind of learn here because we're such an advanced society and we have it so nice with our talking dishwashers and our, you know, my minivan with its attitude. If you don't put on your seatbelt, I mean, we live well here and we are used to the illusion of control. But the fact is that we are not in control. And this virus proves that with an open society and a billion flights a year or something like that, we have people coming in and out of here. We have citizens who have family abroad and they visit them constantly. And that's because we're a wealthy nation and people have the disposable income to do so. So the question is, what are we going to do? Well, the first thing I would recommend is just take a couple of deep breaths, maybe say a prayer. Even if you don't believe, say a prayer, say, you know, give me some calm here. I need to be sensible. Number two, are you prepared? It's not illogical to have two weeks worth of food at home and some extra water and some medications if you have someone at home with a chronic illness. And then lastly, um, I just think we should step it back. As Stacy on the right, how about we step it back just a tad and see each other as people? I'm concerned that so many people are saying, well, I just can't wait until somebody with coronavirus goes to a Trump rally and starts killing off the Trumpsters. People openly wishing for the death of the president online. I know that's not every Democrat or every leftist, but the attitude in the country is really, really nasty. And before someone steps up and blames it on President Trump, when's the last time that worked? If I go home tonight and act like a total jackass, can I blame that on you, Dave? Can I blame that on President Trump? No, I am responsible for my own behavior. So whether or not you like the president is irrelevant. His response to this has been good. And now we have enough test kits across the country for people to test themselves. We have social distancing. We have things we can do to ameliorate this. But the fact is, we've already had, what, 20,000 people or so die from the flu. We're at the end of the flu season. We know what the flu is. We could have 60,000 people. Some years it's very low. Some years it's high. People die from the flu. 
from coronavirus, it sounds really nasty. I've watched a lot of the videos. I've really immersed myself in the websites that are showing things that are happening abroad. It looks horrifying. Um, but just the people on the right are people. The people on the left are people. All of us are Americans. And I would rather root for the president to do a good job, just like we did with President Obama, who waited until there were 20,000 cases of H1N1 before he responded. 1,000 Americans died before he responded. Let's give our president now the same leeway we gave to President Obama. Keith, what about that, since you <clears throat> said that you thought that Trump had handled this very poorly? Well, I, and I wish he would have said what Stacy said. I think she said it better than anybody else. Well, I've you don't know because it. you didn't listen. Well, well, he did well, say something like that. I'm just like saying. That. So I saw the I saw all I needed to see, Stacy. And again, there you go, bringing Obama into it. And so, you know, he President has Obama he's was the president it, of the United it, States. It, he's made it. He's made it about economics. He's made it about. He's been pointing the fingers, and you hadn't said a word about that. Then he has made this political, and he still has missed the mark. And I know. T- there's going to be people going to die from suicide this year. They're going to die from alcoholism. They're going to die so many different ways. We're talking about something that this is something that could have been handled much, much differently. And if we'd have got ahead of the curve. And I'm, I don't think stopping people from traveling abroad is going to be that's not, I'm talking about these people that are going to be hurt, these ticket takers, these people that are working in these stadiums and these the hotels and the cab drivers, the people that are going to be hurt economically. We need to be thinking about those people right now. And you're right. I'm hoping that for those that do pray, we are praying. But we ain't going to be able to pray our way out of this. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you against wow. the uh, travel ban from Europe that he announced last night? I, you know, I, I'm thinking it's, a lo- it's too little too late. I mean, it's over here now. So what I'm saying, let's, what are we going to do about the epidemic that's happening now what are we going to do about it now so we have to we slow have the that? spread so so, so, so them you know, coming over this it's here now dave and it's spreading dave so here there's there's a curve when um when any kind of a virus or epidemic or pandemic hits a population if the virus is left unchecked and it's able to reach into the population spread unchecked no social distancing no travel bans no no parameters of any kind then it tends to overwhelm the system Right now, we have about 931,000 beds available in America across our thousands of hospitals. And so with the population being what it is, we have a significant elderly population. If the spread was allowed to go unchecked and we overwhelmed our system, then we would be unable to take care of people who, let's say, have a heart attack the same day that 20 COVID patients show up. So the idea here is to slow it down. So it's not too little too late. He first had the ban in January from people coming from Wuhan and areas where the spread was initially breaking out. Then he had a secondary, which was from other nations that were experiencing exploding numbers. The virus tends to double every four to six days. So the numbers double every four to six days. So slowing that down means that our healthcare system, which is the best in the entire world, will be able to handle the patients as they present without pushing people away who are having an asthma attack or a heart attack, or et cetera. So again, this isn't about President Trump and how much we hate him. It's about whether or not the measures he's taking are actually quantifiably sound based on who, what we know said, about hey. the illness. Who said it? I'm listening to the, the people that are being interviewed all across the country who are oh, okay. epidemiologists and virologists and scientists. No, they're no, not, I was talking about the hate of Trump. I'm talking about, no, well, no you one don't said, like Donald Trump. Well, I don't you, like, you really I, don't like I don't him. like his policies. I don't you, like him as a person. I don't, don't like how yeah, he treats people. Yeah, I don't. You said that. I, don't, I don't like his, so that's, that's his what I'm demeanor. About. You're right. I do not like that part about the man. You I don't, don't like but him. But you never heard me say I hate him. And I, I certainly wouldn't wish him. and I certainly wouldn't wish death on him. I, I and I certainly wouldn't wish that we have people dying to prove a point. Good We're for gonna you kick to clarify. But at the polls. We're gonna get rid of that turd on November 
3rd. You better believe that. Wow. We get rid of that turd November 3rd. That is now, some really interesting language. I well, wonder how you would feel if someone on a panel like this who was white said that about President Obama. I wouldn't care. I think that's he, 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 You know what? You've, you've never listened to me before. I ain't never been a fan of Obama. So don't, don't bring that Obama crap to me. You're I'm right. saying this, I, I know November very little 3rd, about your radio presence. You're get, right. November 3rd, get uh, rid of that But I do turd. know that this is our second time together. And whenever Donald Trump is brought up, your your temperature is elevated and your rhetoric elevated goes and he, up. And, and I can't stand the man. And that's I don't a problem hate for, I can't stand for your commentary. Because when you're criticizing him and we know that that's you're coming me. from a place of you can't stand him, you can't bad, tolerate, bad those are synonyms for hatred. No, and not. you are absolutely no, in a place where you're... Your emotions are making the uh, the ability for you to have this conversation very difficult. Okay. Amy? You know, it's interesting because I do feel like I'm living in two realities day to day. One hour or hour to hour. One hour I feel like I should freak out about this. And then the next hour I'm like, well, maybe it's not that big a deal. And it's usually recency bias. Whoever I listened to last, you know, it was like, oh, you sh- this is a big deal. This is not a big deal. And, and I think the, the ultimate answer is that it is a big deal in the sense that we should take action and treat it seriously, but that should not induce panic. As far as the politicalization of it goes, you know, sure, there's an element of politics in this as there is in everything, but Italy doesn't care about Trump. And Italy has communities committing a genocide to shut this thing down. You know, Korea doesn't care about Trump. Germany doesn't care about Trump. And they're taking big sweeping measures. Israel doesn't. They're shutting down their borders. This is a big deal. This is something we need to pay attention to. And that has nothing to do with Trump. Now, when you look at America's response, it's a really interesting study of both what a leader can do, what the private sector can do, and what bureaucracies can do. I'm not a fan of Trump's response in the sense of his rhetoric and the way he's been talking. What a, what you do need a leader, even if it's just a figurehead at this point, because Trump doesn't control all the bureaucracies. He's not just going to blink and point a finger and make everything work. But what he, you need your leader to do is you need your leader to publicly defer to experts. You need your leader to present clear information that's understandable. And you need your leader to look at the issue and say, this is serious, but we're in control. You don't want him to be dismissive. You don't want to throw out chaotic statements. And that's what Trump is. He's more of a impulse-driven guy. He's not necessarily going to defer to experts. So as far as his rhetoric goes, I do see that as a fail on his part. Now, there's been a pretty damning piece in the New York Times about some researchers who were doing flu research like a month and a half ago, two months ago. And as this coronavirus first started breaking out, these researchers said, hey, we can use these samples to see if people have coronavirus. And they got stuck in bureaucracy. They got stuck in a giant federal government that said, no, no, you can't repurpose these samples. So that's a big government, not Trump. That is big government failing the private sector. So these researchers go on their own to try to look uh, uh, to see if the coronavirus is here. They find that it's here because they find it in a teenager who had no contact or had not traveled or been around someone who had traveled. So it's a it's an interesting perspective as you need some type of federal leadership. You need the president to be a leader. But you also have to watch out for bureaucracy and making bureaucracy bigger and giving them more money doesn't necessarily mean it's going to run smoothly. So what can we control? We can't control Trump. We can't control the bureaucracies. We can control how we respond. The wrong response is going to Costco and buying everything off the shelves. The right response is being smart, washing your hands, supporting each other as a community and 
take, you know, just leaving all of the sensational headlines out of it and just be a real person, be a neighbor. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the virus, but we will pivot into how it may impact the 2020 election. Quick break, right back, DGS. As Emmy Mark scores, Stacey Washington, Keith Antone. So we will get uh, deep into Biden and uh, Trump and Bernie and X's and O's. But let's start just kind of conceptually. How do you guys think what's going on right now with the with the virus impacts 2020? Do you think that it uh, people are going to err on the side of let's stick with the horse we're riding now and let's keep everything in place? Let's not make any sudden moves and replace the whole administration. Or do you think that the psychology will be more uh, uh, this is not going well. We need a change. Keith, what do you think? Well, I mean, from the, all the polls that I've seen, um, you know, the American people, this isn't Keith Keith's opinion. The American people feel that this uh, this administration has failed tremendously uh, in handling the virus. I mean, you know, then, the, you know, right out the boat, he puts, you know, Pence in charge, a guy that doesn't believe in science, a guy that failed miserably in Indiana with the uh uh, um, with the crisis, health crisis that he had there with the uh, HIV uh, crisis. And so, you know, he, he, at, this is a time he won't meet with, uh, you know, with the with the Democrat leadership, uh, Nancy Pelosi. He won't meet with her because he's mad at her. Oh, pouty, pouty, pouty. You know, I, 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 I want to see us come together. This is really, truly life and death, Dave. I want to see us come together. This is a time I don't want to be against the man, but he's done everything that I think has been systematically wrong in handling the crisis. And I think that we need to get people to, in the room so that we can get a handle on this thing, man. And 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 let's stop. I don't want to see us pointing fingers. I'm not saying tr- this is Trump's fault. He brought it over here. But I do think it's going to people are going to remember this come November 3rd. I really do think this was a defining moment in his presidency and he felt miserably and along with the one thing that he used to always hear and I hold, hear all my Republican friends how's your 401k doing uh, you know it's it's affecting people it's affecting everyday people rich people black people white it's affecting the, the country and I think that he's failed miserably and I think this is the nail in his coffin I think this does it I think they're going to be looking for new leadership Come November third. Well, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was going to say because I, I pointed out the rhetoric of Trump and how I I think it's unprecedented and I think he's failed in the rhetoric. But when you look at his actions, his rhetoric does such a disservice to some of the things that he's done that have actually been effective. And it speaks louder. Right. When he restricted travel uh, from China a month ago, that bought the United States so much time. Now we squandered that time again bureaucracies, the CDC not having, uh, not taking action, having all of these privacy rules that they had to follow, even though I uh, think some of them should have been uh, just overtaken at that point. But he has taken steps that have been okay. His rhetoric overshadows that. The move again from China helped helped alleviate some of the pressure, helped buy us time. So I did want to say that because Trump himself, he can't control What's happening? It's it's much too big. The United States and its interaction with coronavirus has far less to do with Trump. I mean, I would say it's it's microscopic at this point. He is needs to be a leader in his rhetoric and how he's leading and reassuring the people. But as far as what he can actually control with the virus, it's microscopic. So it's interesting. Um, the week before last, I was sitting in the cabinet room at the White House, and we were having a 
leadership meeting for blacks across the country who some of us are on the Blacks for Trump coalition and some are just I'm, I'm not sure how names got on the list because I was a little shocked to see myself sitting there. Um, but I was seated about where Rachel is, is where President Trump was. And I was here. And Dr. Alveda King was to my left and Jared Kushner was to my right. And behind me was all of the media. And so when we were sitting there, he took time to talk about the virus. And when I heard from him, um, which it's on the, again, the transcripts are available, is that he was really concerned that, uh, again, we don't have a panic and that he was concerned about the markets, but he was mainly concerned about people and stopping the spread. And he said he would do everything in his power to stop it and that he was marshalling resources and listening to experts and really going around um, the bureaucracy and every part of government to try to bring people in that would work together to try to help the American people with this. And so I think it's important that you pointed out that he, he has very little control over the bureaucracy. That's something we've been screaming about since the Tea Party days. Um, I think a lot of t- attention is paid to his rhetoric, but I spend, uh, now I've met him twice. Now I've sat down with him once and we were there for an hour and nine minutes and 11 seconds. And then we moved into the Oval Office. And I do not see a person who is out of control and unable to marshal his own thoughts. And a lot of what people are saying is rhetoric that he just spews out is controlled and it's targeted and it goes out and the people that it's meant to hit, it hits. And I think a lot of the upset that goes around on the Twitter, it's a total distraction. If you don't like his tweets, don't read them. That's how I treat a lot of people, not just President Trump. But I will go to that same person whose tweets I won't read and I'll read their articles. I'll go to their uh, their muckrack page and read everything they've written in the last week to get a pinpoint on a direction that they're thinking about an issue. And for President Trump, reading the transcripts and then seeing what he said on Twitter, you have one is his communication with the American people that is official. Of course, the Twitter feed is official communication, but it also includes him hitting back at enemies. So I think it's it's... This is a unique election. What I'm looking at every time I look at 2016 and then I look at the midterm of 2018 and I'm looking at 2020, if you go back a little further to 2012, you go back to President Obama's election, each of those elections is not so much uh, something that is a consequence of the one before. They seem like completely unrelated events. It seems as if we're unable to predict exactly what is going to happen in an election cycle because each one is so much different than the one before. So I think... Obviously, I think President Trump's going to be reelected. Uh, the market's down 20 percent, but it's an opportunity to buy if you're if you're of that mindset. If you really care about the market, everyone knows a downturn is an opportunity. Um, everyone says, look at your 401k. It's still higher than it was when he was elected, even down 20 percent. And the other thing is, who is most likely to ensure that after we are no longer obsessed with COVID-19, that 401k is on an upward trajectory? Bernie Sanders Joe Biden, who's suffering from dementia and his family doesn't care enough about him to pull him back from public life so he can get in an easy chair somewhere and enjoy himself instead of dragging him all over the country and him making these statements. Which of those three people is going to put your 401k back on an upward trajectory? I say it's President Trump. So but, Keith, I mean, everyone has to decide for themselves. Keith, make the argument that uh, Stacey's wrong and it's not Trump who's in the best position to bring us back from this economically, but it's Joe Biden. Well, you can't have it both ways, right? Um, here's here's the reality. On one side, I hear, well, he he's <clears throat> he's not he's he's a minor player in this whole thing, and th- but then for coronavirus, this, oh, the coronavirus for the coronavirus, not for the whole government for okay. this specific issue. Amy, did you not say that 
the bureaucracy. And so President Trump's not in charge of the coronavirus. He can't stop it from spreading, et cetera. Right. I, mean, I, I just think. I think people so, are thinking so, that he can just watch. point it's, his it's finger. And, then, and you take, look, right. you take, take the good with everything. the bad. As a parent, we take the good with the bad. What, what, and yeah. we run our head of our household. If something good happens, something bad, we have to take it all. So he's got to, he's got to own it all. So I, I don't. I think, didn't say I, I didn't own his response, but I was pointing to what Amy said, which was a pretty logical assessment of what goes on in a government with 24 million employees and bureaucracies that are lifetime. You know, these are federal appointments. People me, who aren't he's elected. Asking me, Stacy, if I think sure. Joe Biden can. Ha- I really think it's going to be it's 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 not a one person. I don't think it's an individual. I think that it's going to take its turn. As she said, it's it's going to turn around. And no matter who's there, the market is going to bounce back and we're going to come back from this. We're going to come back from this coronavirus. We as a country will bounce back. But I'm just saying I don't like the miscues that he's had and how he's handled. We will figure it out somehow, some way. And I like at least he did say this. I saw this. He says, well, I'm working with the governors and the governors have much more control over the situation in their states. I believe that. Mm-hmm. That's what you should do. That's th- Those people have access to the resources and, 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 and know what's going on in their states, and he should work with the governor. So I don't think the guy's completely 1,000% wrong. I just think 99% of the time he is. What do you think about Stacey saying that uh, Joe Biden has not just lost his fastball, but showing signs of and actual then, disease? That's a Republican talking point. She can't. There's nobody. No doctor has has, has diagnosed Joe with dementia. Okay, because so he, he didn't have up. the he mental does, acuity he has, part he of has, his He has stuttered. And stumbled a couple of times, Stacey. But you can't say that. Show me. You got your computer. Pull it up. All well, you gotta I, do is pull I have it, it at StaceyOnTheRight.com, some okay, of the videos. You okay, can also but, find but it for I'm yourself. I love it again, when I make an assertion and then it's like, you do all my homework for me. You said you no, watch no, these no, shows. No, no, no. You say a doctor. Aware. What doctor what? said Joe I'm, has dementia? No, I'm no sorry. doctor said no that. No doctor has said it. And I didn't say you that. Just, Let's be clear. Okay. I said he's showing signs of dementia. And then and, I and, pointed and, to the fact that he's had a physical, show, but he, he didn't have the signs, mental acuity portion. How is he showing signs of dementia? Well, he said 159 million Americans have been killed by guns. Okay, That's 50% of misspoke. our population. Have you ever misspoke? Uh, obviously, I have. Okay. Uh, he, all human beings misspeak. But let's. you asked me what has he said. He just no, recently... I said, what doctor said that he has dementia? I, and I already said he didn't take the mental acuity portion of his physical. So that there is no doctor who has said that. I just want to point out before I launch off into all the things that Joe Biden has said, which are easily findable if you go to Twitter, the videos it are is. there. It is. That you didn't answer what President Joe Biden would do to ensure that we have economic prosperity. You didn't answer. And Dave asked that. You didn't answer that. You want me to answer now? I would love it. Okay. Thanks. So I think what he'll do is put people in. He'll put people in position. I think that the market is going to turn on its own. He'll put people in position. He'll bring this country back to the decency that it once was. We're not there. And I think that he'll he'll put people in and the economy will be okay. We're going to be okay. I don't care who's there. Eventually, it's going to be okay. And then Trump can take credit for it. But he's got to take credit for this. He's got to take and own everything. He can't just take the good stuff. Oh, it's really good. It's no good corona. He's owning it. Corona's virus. No, he's He's not. He's owning it. No, he's not. He owned it right to my face when I was sitting in the the West Wing. He said, I will do everything within my power to stop the spread of this virus and keep the American people safe. I'm not, I'm not sure how much more clear he could be. If you're not aware of that statement, doesn't mean it didn't happen. I didn't say it didn't happen. Amy? You know, I, I watched Joe Biden, and I'm not, I'm not reassured 
you know, the way he speaks, the way he's been particularly lately interacting with increasing irritability with his voting base is a bit bizarre. Some of the statements he makes are bizarre. The media have asked him questions. The media has asked him questions and he's it's not stumbling. He's giving quick answers, but they're totally unrelated to the questions. So I'm just being completely honest about that. And I'm honest about that because I mean, Trump is a total loose cannon, and there are a few things that frustrate me more than the way he often speaks and the way he tweets. One of the things that, that really bothered me and struck me as so unpresidential and un-American is when he put down Joe Biden and praised Kim Jong-un. That, or Kim Jong-il, that was wrong on every aspect. We're on the same side. Americans here, when it comes to America versus North Korea, so don't praise a dictator of a communist country who's killed millions of people and say he has a beautiful vision. I think we're dealing um, with two less than ideal candidates here. I would, I think we need to do a misdeal. <laughs> misdeal. I would, I would like misdeal and start over if I could. Quick break. Right back. DGS Think Tank. Welcome back, guys. DGS, Stacey Washington, Amy Mark scores, Keith Antone, Think Tank. So we're going to get local here in a little bit and talk about cure violence. First, uh, I don't want to leave the 2020 quite yet. So what do you guys think that the primary so far has taught us other than what I see, what I think is just unavoidable conclusion is that Bernie's supporters like to talk about supporting more than they like to mm-hmm. actually go out and vote. Agreed? Yeah, no, I think I, I agree. And I think a lot of the Bernie support that we saw in 2016 was really just hatred of Hillary Clinton. I think it just shows how unlikable she was, how many people didn't want her to move forward. I think we saw that in Michigan. The results in Michigan on Tuesday were more of a critique, again, or of of Hillary than they were of Bernie Sanders. I also think some of the support that Bernie was able to garner in 2016, those supporters have grown up a little bit and started paying taxes. <laughs> They've gotten older and they realize it's not going to work for Bernie. And when you are mobilizing a younger base, priorities are different. And this is also a, an, you know, the millennials and younger who are all about the rallies, who are all about being visible and taking your stand and posting it on Instagram, but the inconvenience and the unglamorous few hours that it takes to vote is just not appealing. Keith? Um, I would agree. And I and I also would say that, you know, what scares me about the whole Bernie movement, as he calls it, is that, you know, we should all have one, you know, and, and this is Exit poll after exit poll after exit poll. One of the top things that people said the reason why they were voting for whoever they were voting for was to get Trump out, right? And what scares me about these Bernie voters, and 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 I see them on social media, and you know that they would rather stay home. They're saying they would rather exit the Democratic Party and stay home and not vote at all come November third. Well, then, hell, we might as well tell Trump, you know, let's let's go ahead and have the inauguration right now if that's what you're going to do. That scares me when people like myself and I've said it, I, I, I was riding with Biden in the beginning. I jumped over on the Bloomberg train because I thought, OK, he ran a, a major city for 12 years. Maybe this guy can't do it. I didn't care about the stop and frisk. Uh, it wasn't a big deal to me. And then when he dropped out, OK, I'm going to roll with it. I'm going to go blue no matter what. But if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, I would go with I'd have to go with him. A dead dog is better than what we have there now. Mm. (laughs) A dead dog. All right. 
Which Not one a of, communist. Which one, okay, I, I wonder no. which one of you moaned. Sorry, that one like kind of hurt my heart a little bit. Bernie Sanders, he's an out-and-out communist. He supported Daniel Ortega and never took it back. He thinks breadlines are good, and he never took it back. Bernie Sanders is a bad not just a bad candidate. I would say he's a bad person. I've had this conversation with Charlie. He's a bad Charlie. American. He's, he's a, a bad, I wouldn't say a bad, bad person. He's, he's married. Uh, I, think, I think he has a good oh. family. But he's a bad American because uh, one of the things that America has been known for ever since our founding is standing up to evil in the world. And so in all of our world wars, we've been the ones to come in maybe, you know, a bit late at times. But we've come in and we have righted the ship and then we've left troops behind and we've spent trillions of our dollars abroad trying to bring our ideals to other lands and make sure that other people can live even a semblance of the wonder that we have here and the liberty that we have here. And he Bernie flirts Sanders, with being a bad person, though. Yeah, well, I, you <laughs> he know, flirts I, with it. I, I won't I won't disagree with you. In fact, that's probably not even like the, if we're going to argue about Bernie Sanders, we should argue about yeah. what you initially started off with, which is he loves dictators yeah. and he's really OK with um, the indoctrination that went on in Cuba, he calls that education. He called that a, a literacy program when the reality is that family taught the citizens of their country how to read so that they can mentally enslave them because bodily enslavement wasn't enough. The people were rising up. They were hungry and they wanted to make sure that the kids from knee high, as soon as they start walking, knew that, you know, communism is your God. And you see that in China as well. I think it's interesting. I, I know Democrats who are absolutely going to vote blue in November unless it was Bernie Sanders. And I respect that position because Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. And mm -hmm. I, I, I'm still flabbergasted that in a country where we have this kind of two party system, obviously we have independence and we've always had people who are socialists and communists running on tickets on local elections across the country, sometimes presidentially. But in America, where you have these parties, you have the Democrats who have the right to say to Bernie Sanders, Bro, we caucused with you, but we don't have to let you run on our ticket because after he ran for the presidency the first time, he immediately reverted his uh, affiliation back to independent. If he can't claim Democrats the whole time, why would anyone, let alone you, who I know you think that we're like total enemies because you hate D Donald Trump and I think he's awesome. I don't think you're But my I enemy. respect you a great deal, but I don't understand I don't think how you're my any enemy. person and I respect you. I, I don't I don't I don't understand how any person could say I'm a Democrat. And if Bernie Sanders is the nominee, I'll vote for him. He's not even a Democrat. Right, right, right. So, and, and I agree with you 100% there. I, I agree with everything you, said you, you just said, But you would vote Stacey. for him. But I would. I said I will vote for a dead dog before Trump. Anybody. I don't care who anybody will do. At this point, I, I'm... A I'm, communist I'm, would do. I, I think... So, I... So, that's who I'm, I, not, I'm not even sure what the I question was that you asked this originally. This is a new point because he, the, guy, the, guy, the guy's not going to be the nominee. But I, I just... I want to point out that... Uh, you were talking about the millennials and uh, uh, part of the millennials are they're just cresting 40. And as we all know, because, you know, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm not even going to say that. As I know, as someone who's already crested 40, you every decade is a is a new adventure and you are a different yourself. Like if you look back, it's like you're different selves every every 10 years. And so when you enter the 40s, there's this thing. The taxes aren't just real. It's that you more than likely have a family situation and you're looking at everything differently. And your kids may be even getting into an age range where now you're starting to either pay for school or put them in school. And it kind of reorients your politics. It doesn't mean that every person who turns 40 turns into a Republican, but it means you're a little different. And Bernie Sanders isn't offering anything to people who aren't heavily burdened with college debt or in like Amy said, in search of bread lines or, you know, you, you don't want to go to the Lowe's to the screw aisle and have, you know, 800,000 screws available to you. Uh, so I just look. 
Bernie Sanders should not even be on the presidential ticket at all unless he's running as an independent or a democratic socialist, which, by the way, I'll just make the point one more time. If you're at the doctor and he says you have cancer, do you care if it's pancreatic or elbow cancer or blood cancer? No, cancer is cancer and it sucks. And that's the same thing with socialism. I don't care what uh, adjective you put in front of it. Socialism is the precursor for communism. It's killed hundreds of millions of people in this country. And we should never, ever allow anyone to teach our children that it's okay or to act as if we are a socialist country. We are not. We are a free market country. And our system, flawed as it is, is the one that we should maintain and improve. Let me let me just get back to, to your point, Amy. And, and I'm just going to speak personally. My wife and I were talking to two of our grown children. One lives in Texas. One lives here in St. Louis. And they're both Bernie heads, right? So Tuesday, I talked to both of them and said, hey, did you go vote today? And you know what they told me? No. Hmm. You're absolutely right. They get excited. They go to these rallies. They're woo-woo-woo. And, you know, and, 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 but we're going to vote. I'm 59. I'm way north of, of the 40 mark, right? I'm 59. I'll be 60 this year. I'm going to vote. And I take pride in being there early. I take pride in being the first at my polling place to vote, right? I'm going to go out. I'm going to vote. And so I, I don't think we're going to have to worry about Bernie after next Tuesday. I think he drops out. Uh, as a matter of fact, in this somewhat concession speech yesterday, he kind of dialed back and, and, and start trying to let his, let, you know, let his followers, his worshipers, they're almost like a cult mm. to say, hey, Trump is the bigger is the, is, is the enemy here. And it, I don't have any problem with Joe. That's who we got to focus on to, to, you know, November 3rd. All right. When we come back, we're going to bring it back local and talk about St. Louis and Cure Violence right after this in the Think Tank. Welcome back, guys. DGS Think Tank, Stacey Washington, Amy Mark scores, Keith Antone. We're going to talk about violence in the city of St. Louis and what is going to be done about it here soon, whether we think it's going to work. First, Amy had a question for Keith. Yeah. You know, Keith. I, I've heard this said, and I really think it's true, that old school Democrats and new young Republicans probably have more in common than old school Democrats and new Democrats or even some new Republicans and old school conservatives. But there is that middle ground where I think a lot of people, uh, they, they share the same values and maybe disagree with how you get there. So you mentioned that you would vote for Bernie over Trump. Obviously, I totally see how you could vote for Biden over Trump. I know a lot of conservatives who have who have you know voted for Biden for or would vote for Biden over Trump. But my question is, what taking getting rid of Trump's rhetoric, what policy of Trump's like do you not like? What policies do you see that you think are so dangerous that Bernie is a better alternative? Well, Again, I think, you know, when when you say policy, we can talk about NAFTA, of course. We can talk about some of the trade uh, agreements that he, you know, uh, we can talk about uh, Obamacare and health care. Uh, we can talk about a number of things that I just think that, you know, he's 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 out of touch. And 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 it's completely anything um, that the Obama administration did. I mean, he's he's hell bent on making this personal and not, you know, um, for the benefit of all Americans. So um, it's really, Amy, that him as a person and how he does that, uh, what and how he does it and how he goes about doing what he does. Um, that That's, that, you know, I think that he had, again, last night, I th- he had an opportunity. He had a genuine opportunity, I believe, from what I've seen, and I didn't see it all, 
but he had a genuine opportunity to try to bring this country together again, and and he failed. But I guess I think that's why I'm a little confused because Bernie definitely doesn't reach out the kind hand, right? The the Bernie Brosheviks, they they they're not exactly they're a, a group he's that not unites. The, he's, not, he's not the president, right, either, right? Right. But I but I will say, I guess my my genuine question is. You know, when you're looking at policies and you're getting rid of the rhetoric, I'd rather have a jerk who's a capitalist than a guy who says nice things who's a communist. Do you know what I mean? Like when push comes to shove, what's going to affect my pocketbook? What's going to affect that? And, and that's where I, I find the and, confusion. And, and, let me, and let me be real clear here. Hey, listen, when, you know, when this guy got in office because he's in real estate, my wife's in real estate. So I was I was like, he's going to make stuff better for me and my family. Right. Personal. Right. But 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 I really wanted to give him a chance, but he has he has failed so many times, and you know that that it's just it's hard for me now to to even see the forest for the trees. It, it just at, is. At I think that's really why I'm is. not really sure, like what policies have failed. Yeah, I I'm I'm interested. Well, too. when I, when I say the policies, I'm 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 talking about the things that he's done, his administration with the NAFTA, the trade agreements, with um, the Obama, the health care, the things that he's trying to dismantle just because. That, the, that's what so I'm the, the about. reorientation of the NAFTA into the the trade agreement that we have now, um, that was not to undo something that Obama did because President Obama didn't actually. It wasn't the Obama administration that no, he, instituted no, no, no. NAFTA. He, he, he kept so, it going, right? He kept it going, but after looking at what has happened to the United States and workers across the country losing their jobs to outsourcing, the president actually made a new deal that is better for Americans, specifically the workers that you're talking about. So that's what, not what a failure. Americans? What, what Americans? Well, anyone who works in a factory. The, these jobs were going across to China and other places in Asia. And now we have a more favorable agreement with Canada and Mexico. Some of the jobs will go to Mexico. But in exchange for that, the companies have to have a certain number of jobs here in the U.S. So, I mean, I, I totally understand you're saying he wants to dismantle things. But NAFTA needed dismantling. That was a bipartisan backlash that we've been experiencing over the past 10 years specifically, but really a longer period than that from Americans, apolitical Americans, people who don't even vote, hate NAFTA. Anybody who works in a factory hates NAFTA because NAFTA means your job. And it's not just factory workers. It's also people who work in environments where it's information technology. Um, it's all of that. And the new agreement actually is better for Americans. It's not a failure. Um it, whether you like or hate Donald Trump, the new agreement is actually really beneficial for Americans. So <clears throat> very interesting conversation. I I think we're safe assuming it's not going to be Bernie. Uh, I think we're safe assuming it is going to be Joe Biden. So how much daylight is there between Biden and Trump? Not personality wise, but Amy, you said that you can see where some conservatives could vote for Biden as opposed to Bernie. Why is that? Is it because there's not that much distance between them policy-wise? Between Biden and Trump? You know, there's increasing distance. I think mainly there are a lot of maybe Republicans, conservatives who are tired of an administration of chaos. And they see the divisiveness uh, that a lot of Trump's rhetoric has caused and, and that it has. There's been a lot of polarization in this country. Uh how they look at Biden and they think he's a safer go. You know, is do we vote for Biden in the name of unity? Do we vote for Biden just because he's more diplomatic? And my concern with that is he's losing some of the diplomacy that we've seen, whether it's age or whatnot. I'm not sure. But it's almost startling to see some of his interactions with both the media and 
the people who are coming to his rallies. But also the Biden of today is not the Biden of several years ago. He has moved further left. Mm -hmm. You know, he flip flopped on the Hyde Amendment. Mm -hmm. He's talked about gun control. He said, I'm not going to take your guns. Well, he also wants Beto O'Rourke to lead the charge. And they said, heck, yeah, we're going to take your guns. He wants to take the AR-15s, the AR-14s, which must be an alternative nomenclature for the guns that I have at home. It's the knockoff version. Yeah. But but, you know, but so I think he a Green New Deal guy. Um, he did, what did he say about? I don't know what he would say about. The so Green he New Deal. wasn't, and then on one of the stages, I think someone someone embarrassed him, and he said he was open to it. So yeah. Joe Biden has moved. He's he's basically in the same zone. Um, I'd say he's to the right of the squad. Uh, you know, with his right. answers on a lot of, but these he's things. not a moderate anymore. He's a no. true liberal progressive. He's now. a true liberal progressive. He claims those bona fides, and he's very very open about it. But. You touched on something uh, that it's the one that is most concerning to me. And he's had quite a few statements where I'm like, whoa, he must be really tired because that's what I always attribute it to Mm -hmm. Um, is when he was with the Michigan workers and one of them came up to him, which is common at these things. Mm -hmm. Um, You come up and you ask the person who's the candidate during the rope handshaking. What about this issue? I've seen it happen to President Trump. I've seen it happen to all of the other candidates. It happened to Joe Biden, and he lost it. Now, remember, everybody was had dog face pony cho- soldier trending, and we had to go look up what movie that was from. That was actually fun. I marked myself safe from being a lying dog face pony soldier. It was awesome. <laughs> but this one is different because he curses at the guy. Yeah. He says, let's take this outside. And I thought... Well, what's outside? And then I don't. I was like, oh no, he means let's go rumble. He yeah. was angry, and I don't eyes. work for you. Yeah, but it, that's you do. He, he, well, he's asking to Amy, right? He's asking, yeah. can I can I work for you? And so that's what concerns me. Now, policy wise, we could spend a whole nother hour. We could do a think tank discusses Joe Biden's policies mm. and go all the way down the line, and the policies are on the left, so they're they're for Democrats, but they're to the left of what greater American Democrats are looking for mm-hmm. in government. If you're looking to calm things down, you don't elect someone who says they're going to immediately do what they're doing in Virginia, which is actually make it a felony for you to own a gun that was perfectly legal the day before and you haven't shot anybody or committed a felony yourself. That's what they're talking about doing to Americans like me, Americans who are Democrats who own guns. And I think that's concerning for him to actually have a conversation with Beto O'Rourke, who has now been soundly defeated and pushed off to the side. He's not a mainstream candidate for Democrats. And he's now saying, well, he would be kind of the guns are that should that should be your wake up call. If you're thinking Joe Biden is a moderate right. or a centrist. And, I, you know, I just. It's interesting because the Democrats I know aren't this liberal. And I keep looking around for the proof that all of the Democrats are this liberal. The Twitter people are not the true representation no. of what the whole Democratic Party is like. We know that because we can look around here locally, except we do have our own squad on the St. Louis County Council. And we do have our own problem with individuals who want to adopt the party platform of the hardcore liberal left at the national level and bring that here to St. Louis. The thing that I and I know you want to talk about crime. um, I'm also really concerned that on I guess it was not last night, but the night before the St. Louis County Council decided to come in on the renovation of some stadium here in the city and contribute two hundred forty million dollars. When people actually come to county council meetings, I've been going, I missed this week because I was sick. They've been going and they stand up. These are black people, white people. They say, I live in a beautiful subdivision in North County and there's all this trash on the subdivision next door. And I keep calling MoDOT. I keep calling everybody I can to try to come get this trash because it blows into my neighborhood. The one guy said, um, there's a sign there that says Paul Berry for St. Louis County Council. So we know that's been there for almost two years. Why can't someone come pick up this trash? 
there are neighborhoods that are now being highlighted by um, Elliot Davis. Elliot Davis. Those people could have used a part of that two hundred and forty million. As a taxpayer, I would much prefer to see those people that Elliot Davis highlighted get some of that money to revitalize their neighborhood. They're in the county. They're taxpayers, too. We want to improve things for everyone. The money is there. Also, the trash cleanup, also uh, removing derelict buildings. This is what that money is supposed to be for, not going to um, a stadium reno. Get some corporation around here. To give a hundred thousand for naming rights, or a hundred million, or I don't even know what the numbers are, but let some corporation renovate the stadium. Why are we doing it in the county? It's not even in the county. I understand we are a metro area, but don't people come first? And I hear this a lot from Democrats. People tell me I don't care about people because I'm a Republican. But then when it comes to spending two hundred and forty million dollars of taxpayer dollars, which some of that's my money, and I say give it to the people. People said this to the county council. They stood up and made public comment. I think it was Tom Sullivan. Please don't give that money to the stadium reno. People in the county need that money more. We could put our own tiny home community or homeless shelter. We could do something for all of the. We have a lot of people that want to put a tent city up. We could we could house those people. Two hundred forty million dollars is nothing to the federal government, but to St. Louis County, it's a huge chunk of change. We should have done something good with it, and that is what I'm talking about. I look the rhetoric. I used to be horrified by it when I when I first I voted for President Trump and then I saw his Twitter feed. I was like, whoa, I can't follow this because it's going to derail. Mm-hmm. I got I got to be on message here. I got to figure out what I want to read and what he's doing. So I started reading all of the official stuff and then I would go in and check on the tweets. This obsession with rhetoric and how people talk as opposed to the results that they bring is it's sunken down to this level. Here we are. We have people on the county council. I really don't care what they say or tweet. They tweeted that they're a squad. Good for you. I hope it trended. But what about what they're doing? They're doing horrible things for us. It's really against us. And we're, we're sitting around talking about Trump's tweets. We have got to have more people show up to those meetings. And we absolutely must elect someone in the fall who will do something. Sam Page has taken a hard left turn. He used to be a moderate guy. He's now like right in line with Lisa Clancy and the others. And they're making decisions that are horrible for the county. And so, you know, come on, listeners, DGS Think Tank Nation, come to the county council meeting. If you see me there, let's take a selfie and put it on Twitter (laughs) because we want to be a part of this game. And let's actually influence something that really impacts us. 240. Look, don't ask me what I would do with 240 million dollars, Dave, because I actually have a running list in my mind of things I would do in St. Louis County that would actually benefit people. You'd actually be able to see Six months from now, Stacey Washington has spent $100 million. And, oh, look, look at that. That's something you can actually see and touch and walk through well, Stacey, that is a result of that. Run for office, Stacey. You should. You're passionate about this. Uh, so, and, and that's the way we're going to make change. I, I believe. That's the way we're going to make change. I we agree need people with you. like you. I agree with you. <clears throat> All of this reminds nice. me of what Amy said at the beginning about the coronavirus is there are two realities. Now, I'm not on any social media. I'm the odd duck here. Uh, but it seems to me. You are a blessed man. He's the freest man in this room, you isn't are. he? The freest. He's the freest man in this room. It seems to me that we really do have two realities. Mm-hmm. We have the online reality yeah. where we know who Democrats are because we can read how crazy they are. And we know who Republicans are because they're in the bag for this nutbag Trump. And we know this and we know that. But it's all just sort of smoke. It's just sort of yeah. ether. Twi- yeah. Whether it's not voting world. for Bernie or it's what are the actual policies, it's like there's this weird thing going on, like a bunch of kids have had too much soda. <laughs> and then there's the reality. 
of where does $240 million go? Who's going to go vote in the morning? You know, it's 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 a strange, strange time in history. It is. And Twitter is not the real world. So it's I just, just I just searched it because I've been using this quote for now, I think, six or seven years. And it's still the same. Twitter is an important vocal minority. Seven percent of Americans use it. The population of Twitter is 17 million people. Yeah. 17, not 70, not 177 million, which is the population of the workforce in America that gets their health insurance through their employer. Yeah. 17 million. Twitter is doing to our political discourse what coronavirus is doing to our economy. It's like a few people. It's not very deadly, but it is absolutely disrupting yeah. panic everything. Absolutely. A couple minutes left. So cure violence. I know, Amy, you know mm-hmm. a lot about this. Your thoughts? Yeah. You know, cure violence, when you look at it, it has had mixed results. In some places it's helped. In some places it hasn't at all. I know I sound like a broken record, but I cannot recommend enough the book Bleeding Out by Thomas Apt, A-B-T. He was a policymaker in the Obama administration. He was a policymaker under Cuomo. But basically, he looks at urban violence and says, you have to view it as a triage method. Think of concentric circles. The biggest circle is poverty. A smaller circle is violence. The bullseye target is violent crime. Excuse me, is crime. And then the, sorry, the bullseye target is violent crime. The violent crime is what will keep these areas in perpetual poverty, no matter what anti-poverty measures you make, whether you try to take the guns away, whether you try to fix education. If people are getting shot, it cannot be fixed. So cure violence has a lot of, I think, a lot of really good intentions. But until you take the shooters off the street, go after the shooters themselves, it's not going to get better. And where do we stand with it? Is it going to happen? The Thomas Apps program, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not, no, it's not moving forward. His is so hyper-focused. I mean, he's a guy, he's like, I know guns are important, education's important, but anti-poverty measures cannot work if the linchpin is not removed, and that linchpin is violent crime. So you go, it's a community proactive and then negative uh, reinforcement. You have the police saying, hey, I know who you are. Even among gangs, it's not the whole gangs. It's just like one or two guys. Mm -hmm. Say, we know who you are. We're going to give you the resources you need to get out of this. But if you don't change your actions, we're coming after you. You go after those few guys. It's proved incredibly effective in Boston mm-hmm. and in Oakland, California. And I hope it comes here. We're going to have Thomas Apt back. So you can hear Amy every morning with uh, Charlie Brennan. And Stace, where do people find you? You can go to StaceyOnTheRight.com or listen.StaceyOnTheRight.com to hear the podcast. Although I've been sick and then out of town and then sick again. So mm. it's not a recent <laughs> podcast that's up there, but I'll, I will get one up. You can also go to LiveZet.com. I have an online show there, too. Okay. Keith? All social media, Keith Anto. Very good. Thank you, guys. Covered a lot of ground. Thanks, Dave.